Hello, this is Rick Mellenthal from the Shipyard, and welcome to Voices of Resilience. In this series, we highlight the personal journeys of thought leaders through adversity and trauma to find resilience and hope. We started this podcast in collaboration with the Ohio State University Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health in the first few weeks of the pandemic. And that is why I want it back on this 17th episode, just before we take the holiday break. The man who was on our first episode, our friend, inspiration, and partner, chairman of the department, Dr. Luan Fon. Luan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me again, Rick. Wow. So we began, we had the team from the shipyard. Uh, we had my wife, Karen. We had your whole team. And really, we started by just thinking about how we already knew that this pandemic was not just going to be a physical health issue, it was going to be a mental health issue. So I just thought, you know, I'd ask you, what do you think? I think we thought it was just going to be a few weeks at that point, didn't we? You know, in a way, we had a good hunch. Uh, we certainly didn't expect it to get as bad or be as long as it has been. But certainly because we were there in the beginning and we continue to think about it day in, day out, we're more prepared to deal with what's going on now and, and what we uh, anticipate for the next few months as we sort of round the curve, which I certainly hope we are about to. Now, do you mean that your department, Ohio State University, is more prepared? Or do you think people in general are more prepared for what's to come? Well, I think it's a, probably a combination of both, uh, Rick. Um, the f From our side, uh, being prepared sort of means uh, being flexible and nimble with how we deliver services, switching from inpatient care to doing things by video and by phone. When we think about the community, um, wellness um, and sort of the, the importance of taking care of self, paying attention to emotion, paying attention to well-being was already sort of emerging. So this just sort of reinforces uh, the notion that there's a lot one should pay attention to. I think the virus, um, as it affected our community, allowed us to be a little bit more in tune with the emotional and mental aspects of it, which I think ultimately helps with stigma, right? I mean, I think if if we understand that this is a stress and a stress that affects everyone, we begin to empathize with each other and we begin to understand what it means to feel stressed, to be afraid, to feel grief. All these things become more universal because before you might think, oh, it doesn't really happen to me. Maybe a very small fraction of our society deals with mental health challenges, but now it's affecting everyone from children to teens to young adults to middle adults to older folks. So, so this is now sort of much more front and center. When you think about silver linings, uh, uh, for me as a psychiatrist, uh, anytime we can shed a light on emotional health, it, it's, it's really, it helps us sort of move forward. And, and there's a lot of thought about what will this look like post-pandemic? How will we have changed? What will we have learned? Um, and what kind of uh, new things will we be doing? But now understanding that stress can infect 
uh, can affect your, your mental wellness uh, is really front and center, which is, I, I think, a good thing for us to, 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 to be aware of as it sort of begins to uh, break down the walls of stigma. We had a term that we created. It was our chief creative officer at the shipyard, Dave Sonderman, and you wrote it together called Remotional Health. What was that about? Yeah, it's it's amazing term, actually. It's a mashup of, of two fairly simple words, emotional health and remoteness. And remotional health is, is what we need to pay attention to in these times to continue to sustain positive outlooks and, 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 and uh, good mental health. Um, that is, how do you maintain positivity? How do you have an outlook that is hopeful uh, when you're far away from each other? Uh, you're far away from um, the friends and the family that you use and you rely on every day to buffer your stress? How do you maintain positive emotion when you're far away from the activities that you're normally used to? The last thing about being remote is that there's remoteness in time. Um, These last several months, we don't know and we still don't know when will this end. Um, So sort of there's not only remoteness from people, remoteness from activities, but also remoteness from time in which there's a lot of uncertainty that still remains about when will this be over. Um, And I think this notion of how do we as individuals, as families, as neighborhoods, as communities, as societies begin to think about maintaining positivity um, in light of being remote from the things that we usually reach out for uh, and cling on to to feel better. You know, I think that that's that makes us um, uh, it makes us struggle for all of us um, on an individual level, but also on a group level. Do you see that as having long lasting effect on people? Yeah, certainly. What we know from science um, is that the more chronic the stress the more impact it will have um, in our bones, uh, in our blood, in our cells, in our brains. Um, I think that's, that's, that's what we don't know yet. The, uh, what does it mean to have um, chronic stress be on you uh, for over a year now? Um, and, and obviously, there's, there's several kinds of stress, right? There's, there's the stress of contracting the illness and uh, the virus and, and worried about your, your health. But there's the stress of the uncertainty that you might get it yourself. And as a country, there's other stressors as, as well, right, Rick? I mean, there's worry about how divisive this country is, that uh, we sort of have to pick sides and you're either on the right or the left. There's little room for compromise. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of worries about society having a lot of unrest because of racial tensions. And that's all happened in the midst of this coronavirus uh, burden as well. I always try to compare our mental well-being with my patients um, in terms of the boat that you're on. Um, some of us... Um, start out with a great boat or a big boat that could weather the storm. Some of us have, you know, uh, less resources or a boat is a little bit more broken or uh, might break easily with a a bad storm. Either way, regardless of whether you're a big ship uh, uh, with a lot of fortitude or a small broken boat, 
if the wave is big enough and if the waves continue over and over and over again, you're going to capsize. And that's the worry, right? That, that this notion that regardless of our resilience, the reservoir that we might start with, if the stress is big enough and it's the storm goes on and on and on, um, it, it, there is a breaking point. There's going to be a tipping point. And I, I worry most about that uh, as a psychiatrist for my patients and, and for all of us. As human beings, as, as animals, we, we just don't have everything that could last forever. Um, and so I think the more uh, things get worse and the longer things go, I think it, it does challenge um, our ability to, to continue to pull from our reserves. Um, and that, that's, that's ultimately what, what we worry about in the field is this notion of uh, fatigue. Uh, people sort of jokingly talk about Zoom fatigue, but imagine um, over time, there's, there's stress is going to bring that kind of fatigue and, and that kind of burnout in all of us. How do you think that fatigue would manifest itself? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great, great question. Um, psychologically, there are some things that our bodies and our brains and our minds begin to adapt once we feel fatigued. When that happens, we tend to slow down. Uh, we tend to stop what we're sort of been engaging in and we become more withdrawn. Um, we become more disconnected. We begin to give up. Um, in the field, there's this great term that sort of has really been at the bedrock of understanding depression called learned helplessness. Um, this notion that over time, despite everything you're doing, Everything you're trying to do, it hasn't worked or uh, the obstacles are too high. The wall is too big. That's ultimately what the biggest worry is, that we either as individuals, as families, as communities become victim to a sense of helplessness over time. That's, that's the consequence. That's the worst uh, consequence. And then that ends up um, leading to a lot of depression. And of course, that's a worry for me and for us as a field. You know, when we started this, we really wanted to give voice to Ohio State and get out there and engage with folks, but we thought maybe it'd just be a few weeks. This is our 17th episode. We just were awarded by Adweek, uh, named as the best podcast launched during the pandemic. I think we're doubling our audience just about every week. Um, none of us are professionals at this, you know, I run a business and, uh, uh, you're, you're not a professional, uh, uh, um, radio guest. And, uh, um, I have on our producers, uh, honestly, I think we had to figure out how to even uh, publish a podcast in the beginning. And, and here we go. Why do you think it's resonated like this? Well, I think it's 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 a couple of things, and obviously, um, we had uh, really fundamental building blocks on, on why we do what we're doing. The first is, I think, to learn about a shared experience. Oftentimes, when we as people feel uh, alone, we have this sort of natural tendency to become believers that no one else appreciates what we're going through. 
No one is going through what we're going through. No one uh, feels the way that we do. And we blame ourselves for feeling, thinking, acting the way that we do. And, and I think by these conversations, uh, what we begin to realize and want to spread is that there's a shared sense of suffering. I think the other fundamental thing, Rick, is to begin to spread hope that at the core of who we are as individuals, as families, as neighborhoods, we are at the core resilient. Uh, we are at the core good. And I think that sense of, uh, of hope, uh, the stories on a very personal level, regardless of the adversity, there's a lot more resilience than there is weakness, right? So that we're, we're at the core built strong. But ultimately, I think these conversations that you've had give example to that, um, give meaning to that, give voice to that, because it's the individuals ultimately that then remind us about the inherent resilience and strength that we have as individuals, as families, as neighbors. You know, I think that's a fundamental thing. Sometimes as a psychiatrist, I often remind people of that because it's easily forgotten. It's easy to sort of be more negative. It's much harder to, to think about being positive, being grateful, and being ultimately confident in the resilience that's, that's already inside you. Man, I am so glad to hear you say that. That is what we've been feeling. We've talked to people that have faced suicide and thought about suicide. We've talked to people deeply challenged with bipolar disease and other mental health challenges. We've talked about loss. We've talked about addiction. And every time at the end, we ask, do you have hope? And they don't give a pat answer to that, Luan. They have hope and they tell you why they have hope and they tell you what brings them hope. And man, that's an inspiration. You mentioned before, you said, you know, it's going to get tougher and tougher now. And folks are going to be at the end of their resilience reserve. And I thought as we go in the holiday season, which of course is a happy season, but with this disruption is, is going to be a challenging season for many and certainly those that are remote and might feel alone. And I remember uh, a little bit back, we also wrote another uh, sort of set of words together. Uh, we first did it for our music festival, which was highlighting challenges of mental health, uh, Wonder Bus, when we wanted to change the conversation of mental health. And then you've been talking about it lately, and I do think it's almost a theme uh, for the holiday season. We call it La La La, L-A, L-A, L-A. And each letter stands for something that I think gives us all a guide on what we can do for others that might be facing these challenges. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, La 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 began with our partnership um, in the context of a, a great music festival where we knew that uh, music sort of transcends uh, um, and connects us all. It always has it. It always will. Um, music is, is a great connector. And the nice thing about La 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 is that it's easy to remember and hopefully that's kind of a tip sheet, a playbook that someone could always have in the back of their mind um, for themselves, but also if they ever um, 
connected or, or met someone or was talking to someone who was struggling. And, you know, the first L and the next A is listening and asking. To me, when someone is struggling, you want to listen to them. Uh, you don't want them to cut them off. You want to sort of convey that you're here to listen and you're here to learn. Um, and the A part is, is about asking more and more, you know, because asking itself means uh, ultimately that you care and you want to learn more about why the person is struggling. Um, one important question to ask is whether the person is so hopeless that they've thought about ending their life. We know that some nearly 50,000 people in the United States kill themselves every day. That's more than 130 each and every day of this year. And so talk about a pandemic or an epidemic that's as, as troubling as it gets, where 30, 130 of uh, us uh, Americans die every day by suicide. So it's important to ask about that because you can actually save someone's life by simply asking. You're not going to uh, get them to think about it. You're not going to promote suicide. Science and research year after year, decade after decade has said that the asking um, is is potentially is life-saving. It encourages people to open up even more, right? Um, if you just simply listen, that's a good thing. But the more that you ask, the more it encourages the person who's struggling to open up even more and be more genuine about what the major challenges are. So I think those two things are really the first key aspects of listening and asking. So the next LA is love and act. Yeah, um, Pretty simple, uh, I think. Uh, love really means uh, to show people that you're there for them. And embedded in love, uh, as we all know, the best love is an unconditional love. Uh, that is to say that as I'm listening to you, as I'm asking questions, as I'm hearing your struggle, I'm not going to be judgmental. I'm not going to dismiss uh, what you're saying, and I'm going to validate that even further. I think we show love by not being judgmental and not being dismissive. Acting is about the next steps. So you're sitting there, uh, you're hearing someone struggling. Uh, the most important thing is to try to keep them safe, to make sure that they don't have weapons around them, to make sure that they are not drinking or using drugs that might inhibit their ability to think and make them more impulsive and reckless uh, than they already are. The other element of acting is taking the, the really brave and courageous next step, which is if you're worried about someone to the point where you think, based on that conversation, based on listening uh, empathically and non-judgmentally and asking questions, that you're scared for them, the next thing is to get them the right help that they need, which is uh, an evaluation by a mental health professional. And as hard as it is, that's, that's a life-saving act. Um, they, they may not appreciate it at the moment, your friend, your family member, but that might be the most important and life-saving thing that you can do, which is to connect them and act in a way that, that keeps them safe. These are really important, this love and act. Because for many of us, our natural inclination is the most loving thing we can do is tell people uh, why they shouldn't feel that way. You know, everything is great. You shouldn't feel this way. Look at all these wonderful things that are happening for you. And we feel that's a loving thing. It's a natural thing to make people feel better. But 
You don't mean that, do you? You mean love and act by embracing how they feel and giving them the opportunity, as you said before, to emote it and and to show you're listening. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it's 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 um, it is your you're exactly right in that our natural natural tendency is to get people to flip into the positive right away, um, and also to tell them. Uh, tomorrow will be better. Next week might be better. But if the person is in such a dark place, they're not going to grasp those facts so easily. Um, If anything, when you do that, uh, there's a risk that a person will withdraw from you. And I think that that's what we don't want, right? We don't want people to sort of keep all of this pent up because all of this pent up negative emotion is is going to build up over time and blow up in ways that uh, none of us uh, could expect. Especially if we're connected to those people, if we're their parent or their partner, we sometimes think it's a reflection on us if they feel this way. That's right. We often at, at the core naturally become defensive, right? We then blame ourselves for the person feeling bad. But what I try to encourage is that depression, anxiety, these are not solely environmental conditions. They are conditions that is rooted in the brain. And at a time of stress, there is dysfunction within an organ that we call the brain just like we think about diabetes and high blood pressure and cancer and stroke. It's not your fault and it's not anyone else's fault. You know, all these things are, are very biologically based. And I've always felt that we need to understand depression, anxiety, addiction as brain illnesses rather than something that is related to our weakness as individuals or something that our family uh, or friends have done to us. Very well said. All right. The last law is link and advocate. Yeah, right. There's often a question um, that I've had um, from family, but also from the public, which is when should someone get help? Uh, What are the triggers? What are the warning signs? And to me, if your anxiety, your depression is pervasive throughout the day, uh, if it's something that you yourself cannot control, if it's affecting your relationships with friends, family, loved ones, if it's affecting your ability to work or to study, those things are major warning signals that you should seek help. And by linking, what we mean is if you know someone who's having those warning signals and warning signs, you should get them into an appointment with a mental health provider. Linking is about getting the person the treatment that they need deserve uh, and that could get them better. The last A is really about ultimately being an advocate for them. We often start treatment and then we drop off treatment and we sort of say, oh, I'm all better now. Being an advocate is about reminding the person, hey, if the treatment worked, stick with it. The other important thing about the A of advocacy is to begin to think about uh, being advocate for each other, you know, understanding that mental illness and mental challenges are, are part of us and being understanding and empathetic towards these issues is ultimately the key part of advocacy. So la, 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 listen, ask, love, act, link, advocate. I have to ask you, and this is going to be a hard question to answer, I think, 
Uh, we're all being asked to social distance. Many of our connections we won't see this holiday season. How do we do this in a remote world? It's not easy. It is hard. And I actually don't know anyone who's done it exceptionally well. I think it's really important to keep on trying and to reach out to those who we worry about. So I think that the first step is to keep on trying. The second step is really about maintaining hope, um, maintaining a positive uh, perspective that this will not last forever. There will be an end. That ending, I think, is in sight, finally. Um, so having hope is really fundamental. The third thing that is really related is to be grateful. So being grateful rather than being preoccupied or ruminating about the negative. So I think, you know, there's an element of trying to count your blessings and being grateful because gratitude is really one of the fundamental things that I think is going to move us forward. I think that's just just excellent, excellent advice. We talk about emotional health and we've talked about how long it's been and it's going to be longer. And it's a challenge for everyone. Listen, Luan, it has to be a challenge for you too. How are you doing with all this? I think that we all have different kinds of challenges. I mean, it's hard uh, from different perspectives, you know, leading a department of great faculty who are here to try to do their very best in, in the midst of, uh, of ongoing challenges, not only for our patients, uh, but also, as you know, from prior conversations that you've had on our healthcare providers. So I think that as a psychiatrist, as a mental health professional, I know I not only worry about my patients, but I also worry about my medical uh, colleagues from physicians to nurses to physical therapists to the people who, who, who come to the hospital every day to take care of patients. I, I do worry about those things. Um, and, you know, as a young parent, I, I worry about um, our children um, that they don't have the kind of life that we used to enjoy. I think that that's the ultimate thing that oftentimes we, we, we have this natural tendency to say, oh, I don't want to trouble so-and-so with my negative story or all the negative things that are going on in my life. But I actually would encourage that because when you do that, the person is going to have their own issues to bring up. Dr. Luan Fan, you're, you're an inspiration, a great leader. And uh, that is great advice today. And I want to thank you for being with us today. And we really want to thank you so much for helping us launch this series, one that I think we're going to do for a long time and we have great passion for. Thanks so much. Yeah, well, thank you, uh, Rick and, and Karen and, and, and many of your team members at, at the shipyard. Um, it's such an important set of conversations to have. We delve into sort of really tough topics, but we're really honest about them. And by doing so, I hope that that, that gives people uh, solace um, and camaraderie um, in, into this. So I really appreciate um, uh, this effort very much. I think the more people learn and listen, uh, I think the, the better we'll be off. You know, I just want to say to Luan that as we've done this, what I find interesting is oftentimes people don't understand their own resilience until they've suffered some sort of, I don't necessarily want to say trauma, it's not always trauma, but 
um, some sort of hardship. And that's kind of what the whole world is going through right now, which is what we talked about at the beginning and talk about now. And um, helping people discover their resilience is really a path to healing for so many issues. And one thing we learned from you on the very first podcast when you shared your story was that a way that you could heal yourself and find your own resilience was to help other people. So I want to thank you for all the help that you've given, not only to us, but to our whole community in helping us understand that resilience is just a way to reach out to the world and try to make it a better place. Yeah, I appreciate that, Karen. That's the fight that's in me. And I think it's going to be an ongoing fight. I've been lucky in which uh, I haven't had uh, a family member fall to um, an overdose death or a suicide, but I've had very close best friends fall to suicide. Uh, And I've always, as a mental health professional, said, why wasn't I there for them? Why didn't I talk more about resilience with them? And I always sort of think to myself at the moment in which they are there at their darkest and deepest sorrow and despair. I wish that I conveyed some sense of hope for them. And, uh, you know, this sense of, we all have it inside of us. And I think it's it's about remembering that. That's, that's the fight that we need to continue, that we're strong at the core um, and tomorrow will be better. And uh, there's love out there and others love us. And uh, for those who sort of uh, are at their darkest, deepest place, they, they don't realize it at that time, but, um, yeah, so I think it's it's an ongoing fight uh, for me as, as a, not only as a professional, but also as a person, you know, and I think we all need to sort of pick up that fight. What a wonderful, powerful session and just great timing, both going in the holiday season uh, and on our 17th episode, visiting again uh, with our co-founder, Dr. Luan Fon. Uh, You know, as he said, if you're facing these challenges, you need to reach out for help. Uh, One source is the Ohio State University Center, uh, which is 614-293-9600. Or the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's a national service, uh, seven days a week, 24 hours, 1-800-273-TALK. That's 273-8255 or TALK. Voices of Resilience is produced by the marketing engineers at the Shipyard in collaboration with the Ohio State University Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health. To listen to our whole series, visit us at voicesofresiliencepodcast.com or on Spotify, Google, and Apple Play. And as many of you know, we've just been named by Adweek as the best podcast in the nation launched during the pandemic. We're very proud of that. And so, so many thanks to our award-winning team, Mike Long, Kate Masters, Coop Studios, and my favorite, Karen Millenthal. Thanks for joining us.